Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 10? And we're now in the 10th chapter. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. It begins a section, a, a sermon that will not stop here today. It will continue. But the overall title of this message will be The Great Shepherd. The Great Shepherd. When a, when a Jew in the day of Christ would reflect upon the term shepherd, his mind immediately would go to the 23rd Psalm. As a matter of fact, everything about this, I didn't delineate the, the way it compares, but maybe I'll reference it as we go. Everything about this reflects the great shepherd who is Christ and who says in, in John 10 and verse 11, won't be there today, but he says, I'm the good shepherd. He assumes the title given to Yahweh, to the Lord in Psalm 23. Again, in Psalm 79, 80, and 95, I think, maybe more references to how the Lord is the shepherd of his people and we are the sheep of his flock. One would also, in, in the Jewish mind of Christ's day, those having known their Old Testament scriptures would reflect upon the prophet Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, actually, Ezekiel uh, chapter 34. And Yahweh called Ezekiel, he called him son of man. He said, Ezekiel, son of man, come here. I want you to prophesy against the evil shepherds. They are, they are feeding themselves abundantly and they eat upon the fat and they're neglecting the sheep and the sheep are suffering greatly. They are false shepherds. On down in Ezekiel 34, but he said, what I'm going to do, Yahweh says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send a shepherd who will care for the people. And he will not be a false shepherd. He'll be a true shepherd. Now, when Christ begins the narrative here in John 10 and refers to shepherd, a shepherd, they would, of course, have known the scriptures and the teaching in their own Old Testament. This narrative is the same narrative that was in John 9, and it's the same setting. So we go back and reflect upon what has just happened. This is all in the same day. Christ healed the blind beggar man at the gate of the temple. It was on a Sabbath. The Bible says that his neighbors and a lot of other people saw how Christ healed him. He restored sight or he gave sight. He didn't restore it. He gave sight to someone who had never had it before. And the reminder is given by none other than the blind man in this narrative that as, as the 
leaders of, the, of Israel, the, the Pharisees and scribes and so forth, arguing with this man, trying to make him speak against Jesus who had just healed him from, he'd never been able to see, he was born blind. He'd never been able to see. And the narrative, in the narrative, there's a reminder that no one had ever restored, had given sight to someone who had never seen before, a blind man who was born blind. Because, and we saw this last time, this is, this is a unique miracle, a power that would belong uniquely to the Messiah, the Christ. It would be a powerful illustration in the physical ministry of the Christ of how he and he alone can take those of us who are born in darkness into a fallen human race and he and he alone can make us see. He can move us from darkness into light. Only he can do that. And in that longer narrative back in chapter nine, the Pharisees, they bring him in, the leaders of Israel, and they question him. They investigate this thing. They ask him all these questions and he says, look, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. And so their response was, well, we're not even sure this guy was even born blind. Call his parents in here. His parents say, yeah, that's, that's our son. He was born blind. He'd never seen a day in his life. So they continue to question the man who had been blind and he began to teach them. And they became angered at this man who had been the blind beggar and they cast him out of the synagogue. They, re they rejected his Judaism. Jesus heard about this and immediately found the man. Jesus said, do you believe in the son of man? Messianic title from Daniel. The blind beggar man who now could see replied, who is he Lord that I may believe in him? Jesus said, it is the one whom you have seen and to whom you're speaking. Immediately, the blind man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him there. So the Pharisees couldn't let it go. Are you saying that we're blind? Christ responded to them and gave to them the answer that differentiates between that which is just physical blindness and that which is spiritual blindness that leads to judgment, the blindness of, of judgment itself. And he ended that part of the dialogue and he said, because you claim to be able to see, but you can't see, you remain in your sins. Now that's how the previous chapter ends. So this, this narrative continues here in John chapter 10. So all of that has to serve as our background as we continue the narrative. Jesus is still talking to them. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, the one not entering by the door to the fold of the sheep, but climbing up another way, he is a thief and a robber. Going to make several points here, starting with point number one that comes from this phrase. First of all, the door. The door could only be entered into by one who had authority and ownership of the sheep. We're talking about sheep and the fold of the sheep. The fold of the sheep, every village had a place where shepherds could come in at night and could put all of their sheep together and, and keep them safe from wild animals and thieves to await the next day when they would take them to pasture again. And of course the shepherd, the one who had authority, would bring them in to the only place where they could go in and all of the flocks would mix up together and then they would be in the fold, the place of safety from outside. Now, the only one who could do that with his sheep would be the one who was the true shepherd, the one who had the authority to enter into the door, the owner. If he was otherwise, he came in another way and he was a thief and a robber. We'll talk more about that as we get into the scripture, but if thieves came to steal, and of course, sheep were just like money in that culture, he would have to climb into the fold over a, a fence or through a, a rock cliff or something, and he would have to come in another way, and he would sneak in that way, and his only purpose was to steal the sheep. That's all he wanted to do. So... If someone came in and didn't come in by the door of the fold, he was climbing up another way. If he didn't come in the right way, he is a thief and a robber. However, the one entering in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. There is a true shepherd of the people, of his people. There is a particular flock that belongs to him. I've told you this story before, but I hope I didn't wear it out because you're about to hear it again. You can text your buddy for the next two minutes if you want to, if you've heard this and not interested. But I might call on you to pray if I see you doing that. <clears throat> or to stand up and quote your favorite Bible verse. Jesus wept. Okay. <laughs> That was always mine growing up. Jesus wept. I was in the Holy Land a long time ago with a group of people. And we came to a midday place like a fold for the sheep. And there was an oasis there for the sheep to be watered. They were coming in from all directions. There must have been at least a dozen shepherds and their flocks. 
So these sheep all mixed up together around the water. We didn't know how long the, the guide said, okay, we're going to stay here until you see John 10 come alive. In the course of time, a shepherd would begin to make a noise, a yodel, more like a yodel than anything else. He would just start walking into the distance and here and there from among all of that gathering of sheep, certain ones would begin to separate themselves and they would make themselves in a line and finally in a group, make themselves to a place where they would follow their shepherd. The other ones kept drinking. Didn't mean it. That voice didn't mean anything to them. Nothing at all. The voice of the shepherd only spoke to those who were his sheep. Now we'll see this work itself out in this passage of scripture. But this describes to us the fold and how they come in by an official way. And those who bring their sheep in, that one who brings his sheep in would be the owner. He would, he would have the authority to bring those sheep into this place, but they were his and they were no one else's. To him, the doorkeeper opens, that is he opens the door. You know, in the Old Testament, and if you think about it, the, the, Moses, for example, had a particular and a peculiar calling in his life and no one else had that calling, only Moses. And Moses was empowered and resourced to fulfill his calling. Now Moses didn't do a lot of other things that kings and prophets did, but Moses did what Moses was called to do. There is this figure in the scriptures the one who is described as the voice who cries in the wilderness. When you develop who that is, it speaks of how he has the unique calling to introduce the Messiah. He would not do anything else in him. He wouldn't introduce more than one. It was his job to finally and ultimately Point people to the Messiah, the real one. Now, nobody else had the, had the ministry of John the Baptist, only John the Baptist. He was prophesied in the Old Testament what he was to do. And it is clear in the Gospels that John the Baptist is the one about whom the Old Testament spoke. Only to the Messiah would he open the door to the hearts of Israel? He carefully preached, I am not that one, but I am here to prepare you for that one. I'm not worthy to reach down and lace up his shoes. I can only baptize you with water and you are coming for John's baptism to acknowledge that you want to be ready 
when Christ appears. But he'll baptize you with fire and with spirit. And on that day, Christ appeared and John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Only to him would this door be opened by the doorkeeper and the sheep hear his voice. The only ones who made their way out of that fold by the oasis that day so many years ago, the only ones who came out when the shepherd called were the ones who belonged to the shepherd. That voice didn't mean anything to the rest of them, not a thing. They didn't recognize it. They weren't compelled to follow it. It meant nothing to them. There is such a beautiful strand of theology, theological truth here in the doctrine of salvation. Not the least of which is the effectual call of Almighty God. He only calls his own to himself because only those who are his will respond. I've told you how many times I've preached in meetings for the purpose of evangelism and proclaiming the gospel where many people unsaved would be seated and only maybe a few here and there would come to Christ on that day. What's the difference? Same message, same place, same dark hearts. The difference can only be the effectual call of God. I made the appeal to everybody, but it's not my, it's not the power of me that will draw you to the cross. Only God can do that. It's a spiritual thing. Born from above, the Bible says. The sheep hear his voice. And then what? He calls his own sheep by name. I read a, an interesting part of a book that I had read some time back about the shepherds of the Middle East. I never really thought about this. This book was written by a person who had been a shepherd. He came over and left that part of the world. And he said, did you know that shepherds Name their sheep. He spends every day with them, all day long. He knows them. Maybe one of them was prone to ticks. Maybe he'd call him Ticky. I don't know. But he had a name for all of his sheep. And he would, when he would examine them every day, personally would call them by their name and he would handle them and see if there's anything wrong, if there's something wrong, he would anoint with oil or whatever he needed to do to help soothe the wounds and keep the bugs off of his sheep. And he called them all by their name. He knew them. The Bible teaches me that there is the Lamb's book of life. 
that was written before the foundation of the world. As I grow in Christ, the more I realize he has into the ages of the ages, always and forever known me by name. He knows me. And if you're his, he knows you as well. It's an amazing thing. He calls his own sheep and leads them out. Now there's an interesting Greek word that's translated leads out. Exage, exage. It is a word that is also used to lead freed prisoners out of prison or slaves who are no longer enslaved to lead them out to freedom. Those are other ways the word is used. So here Christ comes in Calls his own who will know him and he will lead them out. Now, let's look at this. When he has brought out all of those who are his, his own. Has brought or has brought out. Ekbale, ekbale. Has brought out. It means to cast out. When, and I remember this, when I was a boy, I got up in, in little elementary school and my daddy, a preacher, sitting in his lap, now son, you need to be sure and take Jesus into your heart. I, I didn't, you know, I mean, it's not up to me anyway, it's up to God. Seven years old, eight years old. I remember the struggle became fiercer. I don't, my mama's a Christian, my daddy's a Christian, while my daddy's a preacher. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Those, those were my reasonings. Nine years old. Ten years old. I struggled against this thing. Until I was broken. I'll tell you what he did. I was stuck in that fold. Bumping against this one and banging against that one and hearing this and hearing that and thinking I, I'm enjoying this feed in here. Let me tell you what he, he has the right to do. Just like when he goes and finds the one who had wandered away and leaves the 99 and forcibly takes it from where it is and brings it. God Almighty has that prerogative. If you belong to him, he'll take care of you. Even when you don't take care of yourself and cast them out. That's what he means. It means when he has gotten all of them, even to the ones he has to go in and say, now, come on. When he has brought out all of his own, then he will go before them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. He means nothing 
but good for his own. I have grown in that truth and in that knowledge ever since I was 10, almost 11 years old. I grew up in a home where Bible study was regular, church attendance was regular. I used to work for my daddy. He owned a clothing business. He was a bivocational pastor. So he was both my employer and my pastor. He would take my little offering envelope and look at it to see if I'd tithed. He knew what he had paid me. So I couldn't even get away with that. I have grown to realize and I have struggled against, I can tell you even as an adult man, I have struggled against God's call. But his will is absolute and sovereign. I've come to realize that. I've surrendered to it. And it takes a lifetime, I guess, it does me, to realize more and more that it's all of him and none of me and nothing else matters. And I am going to follow him. It doesn't matter what's happening around me or in this world. He has never done me wrong. He has never treated me badly. He has always brought me through tough times, most of which were caused by me and finally restored me at the other end of it for which I have been most thankful in my life. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. However, they will in no way follow a stranger. Now that's a double negative in the Greek text, ume. It's a double negative. It means not never. You know, it, it's a, it's, we don't say it that way in English. But they will absolutely not follow a stranger. He's climbing the fence. They don't recognize him. He's saying, here, sheepy, sheepy, they're getting disturbed. This ain't the voice I'm used to. This is not the thing that is for me. And they'll flee from him. They won't follow a stranger. They will flee from him because they do not recognize the voice of strangers. We have a simple code at Shiloh. In order, or at least I do, uh, in order for a person to be discipled, he has to be discipled according to the Word of God. We're, we're only here, at least I am, to teach the word and to exalt Christ in every phrase that's found in the scripture. 
I came to realize I've been a pastor 40 something years. I can't keep up with it, but I came to realize I am not Sigmund Freud. Thank God. I'm not your banker. I'm not a consultant on investment. In temporal investment anyway. Don't ask me how to lose weight. I have two problems. Number one, I'm, I'm too short for, for what I need to be. <laughs> and the other thing is, I was born on the wrong planet because on Mercury, I'd weigh about 12 pounds. <laughs> but if you ask me about Jesus, are you ready for a week or two or more? This is what it's all about for us. And we can pick up a book if we will learn the scriptures as Christians, as regenerated believers. If we will pick up another book, a strange book. And it doesn't, it doesn't coincide with the book. All kinds of red flags will flip up and we'll wind up on a lonely island. <laughs> Did I do that? See, there was a guy who left one of my churches. There he is up there. <laughs> He's trying to flag down a ship. Skull Island, that's where you're headed. Go ahead, move your letter to some half infidel church and see what happens to you. He said as he waited for the, okay, <laughs> all right. Meanwhile, back at Shiloh. Okay. In my lifetime as a pastor, in my career, I don't know if that's right, in my, in my ministry, in my pastorate, I have spent enough money to have built two houses and I've spent them on books. Thousands of volumes. <laughs> and in most cases, I should have built the house. <laughs> because as I grew in the Lord, the more I began to reject books. Well, this guy, he's questioned part of the scripture. I don't want anything to do with him. This guy, he's trying to change the meaning of a Greek word that has been a Greek word like that since the New Testament was written. And you can't change the meaning of these words, though they try those books, they just, out they go. I had a book one time about evangelism and the guy said that you had to sing, and I'm not kidding you, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not mocking the guy, I'm just telling you, I've just rejected the book. He said, you don't really get people moving to the altar until you've had at least 13 verses of just as I am. He was with a big evangelistic association. Well, I finally said, you know, I, <laughs> we went through 25 verses last Sunday. Didn't a person do anything? So now, you know, here's my point. 
the more deeply we delve ourselves into the word of God, the more readily we recognize the voice of a stranger. And what we are compelled to do as believers is to run from it. it there's no good to it at all. None. At all. Because they do not recognize the voice of strangers. Now, I don't speak lightly about others in this world, but may I say, the work of the church is to build disciples. That's in the Great Commission. If you look at it in the Greek text, there's, there's, there's one command and everything else is a dangling participle. As you are going, some people say go, that's a command. That's not a command. As you are going, it's a dangling participle. Wherever you happen to be, as you go along the way, as you are going, disciple. That's the imperative in the text as it was given. Disciple. Teach people. God takes care of everything else. As you teach them, Baptizing them, teaching them, baptizing them, going, teaching, baptizing. Those are the dangling participles. So it is our job to strengthen people in the blessed and holy word of God with the firm belief that nothing else can stand against it in this world. Nothing in the course of my Pastorate. I used to be on this when I was a young pastor. I, I would just, I would go on this campaign against stuff, you know. Oh, that's damnable. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and so I started getting science books, and I was, you know, and I'm still again. Of course, evolution is wrong, but things like what science tries to make people believe it's always a theory, and those things. I change all the time. Always changing. And the next one preempts the last one. They never are the same. Never. And then I take the scripture. It has never changed. Everything in this world has worked against the scripture. But it has never changed. Therefore, anything that comes against the scripture is not absolute truth. It's counterfeit. And it comes from the voice of strangers. Now, I can't click it. All right. I, I know what happened, but it's okay now. You got it fixed. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came in before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. 
You will see this really all the way through the Old Testament. There is this theme of salvation, redemption that true believers knew only belonged to God. It was an act of worship to offer a sacrifice, but the blood of sacrifices didn't save them. The grace of God saved them. And they acknowledged the power of that salvation in their worship, but others taught other things. There are others who are thieves and robbers. I am the door. The doctrine of salvation continues. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That's an absolute in the Greek text. It can't be changed. It'll never change. It is, it, 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 you can't undo it. And God does it. He will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Now he has freedom. He's not held for ransom or something by some thief. He has this freedom to go in and out and he finds pasture. He finds sustenance. He finds the feed that he needs, which is the word of God. We live by the word of God. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Remember that guy that I referenced a while ago and I said he's climbing up the fence and getting over in there and the sheep are really disturbed and upset and he's trying to calm them down but they don't recognize his voice and they're getting all the more upset. He has come to steal and to rob those sheep. And so if he can't get them to go along with him since they don't recognize his voice, what does he do? He takes out his knife and he slits their throats. And he drags them out that he might get the wool and whatever meat there might be along with it. And he steals them and then he kills them and destroys them. Strong language from Christ regarding these false shepherds of Israel in his day. Now understand in the greater context of all the teachings of Christ... Christ has been teaching people that they cannot save themselves. The law can't save them. Moses can't save them. They have to come to Christ. And he says again, you don't get in but by me. But when you come in by me, you're saved. And you'll be able to go in and out and find pasture, sustenance. And you'll escape the thief. I came that you may have life. Okay. The thief had buddies with him. They're in there disturbing the sheep, slitting their throats. They don't have much life. But if just then their shepherd comes and they hear his voice, they're separated from the rest and they come to him. They have absolute security in the shepherd. Absolute security. I came... He's still talking to those with regard to the blind beggar who had been healed and the leaders of Israel who had been arguing and seeking to kill him. So he says to the greater crowd, I have come that you may have life. Your works salvation will kill you. 
it will not save you. There is only one way that you can be saved, and that is to come in by the door who is Christ, the great shepherd. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Person over and above anything that you can imagine. The great dilemma of fallen man is that we're under the judgment of death. Physically, we die because we're all in Adam. In Adam, all die. We get older. And then we give out. And we die. Or we may die tragically, but we die. Except for that generation that will be caught up and caught away. By rapture, we will die. But death has no power. And as we go through John, we will see this more and more gloriously. Death has no power over the one who is Christ's own sheep. He won't let the thief, the destroyer, take you and kill you. He won't allow it. He will lead the way and he will guard you and guide you. You remember in the 23rd Psalm, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'll fear no evil. Shepherds out front, Wadi Kelt, there's a place that they call the valley of death. And when the seasons change and the pastures change, some pastures get Worn by through eating of the sheep, and the shortest way to get to the other pastures that are green is through the Wadi Kelt. It's a very narrow passage, and it has overhangs and crags, and it it reeks the odor of sheep passing through there all the time. And so, the thieves will wait, the jackals will wait, the lions will wait. The bear will wait. The shepherd goes first. Whatever is in that dark valley, he will engage it and defeat it so that his sheep might emerge unscathed. He carries, among other things, a rod and a staff, and he's very good with them. Thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. They are a terror to the thief, to the jackal, but they comfort me. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. The shepherd assumes total responsibility to care for his sheep. Absolute and total responsibility. He led, Christ said in Matthew's gospel, the shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. He said later as he took regard of Israel, they're like sheep who have no shepherd. Christ 
is the great shepherd. That you may have life and have it absolutely abundantly above anything that you can imagine. We cannot imagine. It hasn't even entered into the heart of a man, the Bible says. The eye hasn't seen, the ear hasn't heard. It hasn't even entered into the heart of a man that which God has prepared for those who love him. Those of us who are in Christ, we can't imagine what life there is for us. Still yet to come. Complete, abundant life. Only from the good shepherd. This narrative and this message continues next time. But for right now, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? When we dismiss in just a few minutes, I want you to know that we have deacons and wives across the hall waiting to speak to you about anything that's on your heart. Perhaps God is calling you to come to Christ for your salvation. Maybe having been saved, you need to join a church. We're ready to respond to any of your questions or whatever and take whatever action that you want us to take. And you settle that with uh, the Lord as you speak to the deacons and their wives on the way, just there in the room as you lead. But we want to have a special time of prayer as our closing prayer. Josh is going to be leaving on deployment, I think, uh, to go somewhere. And we are always attentive to his and his family's needs and anyone else who has special needs. So as we pray our benediction, I want us to pray God's special blessings on Josh and his family right now. Would you just prayerfully stand all over this room? And this will be our closing prayer. Father God in heaven, Lord, I lift up Josh and his family to you, God. I pray that your loving arms, of course, are wrapped around them, that you'll be with him wherever he goes, that you will have already prepared the way, that you will keep him in safety, that you'll give him your blessings, that you will strengthen and bless his family who are here and help us, O oh God, to minister to one another as we need to. And Father, we look forward to the time when he comes back from the place to where he's going. And we thank you, Lord, for all of the blessings of life and how you bless us and keep us safe and from harm. And we pray this special blessing upon him. And then, Lord, we thank you for giving us this day. We thank you for your precious holy word and letting us study it freely. Help us, Lord, to bring it into our hearts and into our lives that it might be become a part of who we are. Dismiss us now in your love, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.